This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast. We're the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Speaking of weeks, it's of course been Halloween around the world, so in true style, we'll be picking the bones out of Saints' recent fixture at Manchester City, where despite showing a lot of spirit and drawing first blood, especially after the frightening defeat to Leicester, we eventually lost by two goals to one, giving City the pump win. Excellent. Jesus Christ. Nailed it. Whoa, Nailed that's it. bad. <laughs> And you oh, actually man. wrote them down. Totally. That'll do with the uh, Halloween gags, I think. Um, Lucy, we're briefly chatting. I know that Steve obviously lives in a block of flats. Adam has dogs, so we know that he doesn't get many. But did you have many trick-or-treaters? Dogs. We had none, actually. <laughs> oh, right. Um, I, don't know, I don't know why, but we did. That was great. You have to put pumpkins outside your house, don't you, to sort of welcome people? Maybe. Don't know. Didn't do that. That's that's the trick, clearly. Don't do it. You don't get them. I yeah. think that's what you have to do, sort of turn your lights on and make it more welcoming. So, uh, good. All right. Oh, well, lovely. doesn't sound like it was overly productive then. But uh, anyway, alongside the uh, Manchester City game, we'll be previewing next weekend's clash with Everton, which uh, even after only 11 games now looks pretty massive for Saints. We also have a special total recall this week as I speak to uh, Saints legend Francis Benali about his down memories, that goal against Leicester City, his charity work. And of course, I had to ask him about Ali D. So let's get going. Adam, Steve and Lucy are here, as you probably heard. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk, this is TSP90. 
Me? I could never own a hot tub. Stop it. That's the kind of negative thinking that's preventing you from sitting in a hot tub right now. Talk to Happy Hot Tubs today, where owning a hot tub is as easy as one, two, three. One, choose your hot tub. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose the way you pay with 0% finance available on selected models. I could own a hot tub. That's the spirit. You deserve happy with Happy Hot Tubs. Happyhottubs.co.uk Saints made their second visit to the Etihad this week, losing 2-1 in the Premier League thanks to a late goal from Carl Walker. Lucy, all in all, what did you make of the game? Well, it was a welcome contrast from last week in the sense that we actually tried to play football, so that's good. Good start, um, yeah. Obviously, the nature of the defeat, the timing of the goal makes it a, a difficult one to take, I guess. But um, in terms of you know showing commitment and all the things that were lacking last week um i thought it was good and it was encouraging and, and we did actually do some pretty organized defensive work which hasn't really been the case of saints recently mm. I, I have to say i didn't watch it. i was at a uh, another halloween party it makes me sound very halloweeny but i'm not really but uh, i think probably like most saints fans around the world that weren't watching it we were just waiting for it to go 2-1 once we knew it was 1-1 but uh, look adam quite a few people have said that saints have restored some pride this week um would you agree with that, or is it more the fact that they just actually perform like a committed Premier League team should? Ah, uh, well, I mean, I guess when you've lost 9-0, um, kind of, yeah, I, I suppose then going to Man City twice and, and then not getting thumped is is almost something to be grateful for, even though that doesn't seem like you should be all that grateful for just turning up and losing two games and, <laughs> and the defeats not being too bad. Mm. Uh, that kind of was a bit of a weird situation they found themselves in. I, I must admit, I wasn't overly taken by the pride restored um, line after Tuesday night's cup game mm. because I, I actually wasn't very impressed with the way they played on Tuesday night. It was... I think it was understandable, given what had happened, but it was also, uh, I, I didn't really think there's a lot of pride in, in basically turning up and, and almost going on the pitch, having already conceded the game, yeah. and just basically trying to get through it as best you can. Um, but actually, I think Saturday's game was a bit of pride restored. Uh, they obviously got the early goal, um, thanks to the, the you know generous goalkeeping from Edison, <laughs> and... Um, and that gave them then kind of almost a legitimate reason to to just have 10 men in the penalty area for almost the entire match. Yeah. Um, I mean, you rarely would see a more one-sided game, but it is funny when you, even against those great players that Man City have got, when you literally have 10 players, opposition players in the penalty area, it is really hard to score mm. because you're just kicking the ball and there's loads of them there. So it just hits them all the time and you're hoping for a lucky break. And, and most of the time, the lucky breaks all went to Saints. You know, there's balls pinging around all over the place that could have gone anywhere. And they all seemed to fall to Saints defenders to sort of uh, hack them clear. And because they had the lead, it was it was sort of a legitimate tactic to, to just get men behind the ball. And I think the thing that was um, more pleasing about Saturday than Tuesday was that I know, I know the Saints goal did come from obviously a Man City error. And uh, the Saints didn't exactly have a lot of a joy on the counter-attack, but there at least appeared to be a more coherent game plan. Mm. To, to And, and uh, all right, you accept you're probably not going to win at Man City, but there appeared to be a vision as to how, in an, if everything aligned, that it could potentially happen. As Whereas on Tuesday, 
it just felt like they were going out to lose and it was just like well we're gonna lose let's just let's just try and keep the score down lads which is a you know it's a fairly depressing thing even if it is understandable so i think in summary sort of pride pride restored a little bit after saturday but ultimately the big test is everton uh and, and how they perform there because the other thing i would say about man city is it's a kind of a weird one in the sense that you go there after a nine nil or go there twice after nine nils with real trepidation and understandable fear about making mistakes. But you also go there with almost nothing to lose hmm. because everybody expects you to lose. Everybody expects you to get beat. Everybody expects you to get thrashed. So if you do anything better than that, then, then, you know, it's a bonus as whereas against Everton, the pressure's on saints to have to win that game rather than just defend. And there's a reason why, um, you know, attackers cost a lot more than defenders. And, and, you know, we all know this from when we've played football as well. Spoiling is a lot easier than, than you know, scoring, basically. Yeah. And so to just put, uh, basically have most of your team spoiling for 90 minutes is a much easier thing to do than it is when the pressure's on for you to score. So the real test of character for me is to be, to see how they perform under what is going to be a real intense pressure against Everton. Yeah. Steve, um, Adam makes good points as ever there in that you know you come off the back of a 9-0 but going to the city is never easy anyway so I've seen lots of people praising Saints for the way that they were organised and as Lucy mentioned sort of defensive solidarity that sort of thing but likewise seen people you know Carl Walker and people like that criticise them for just parking the bus but you know it's understandable particularly when you take a lead that if you do go there and open up against City I mean you're facing another 9-0 potentially aren't you so you can understand I think all of us from a Saints point of view why they went with that game plan particularly in the Premier League game. Oh, completely. And Carl Walker and Pep Guardiola can go screw themselves because, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, what are they expecting? I totally agree. Yep. I mean, you pick two or three players out of their um, first team and they probably cost as much as the rest of our entire squad put together. Mm. Um, when the resources in the league are that far apart. I mean, let's face it. I mean, five years ago, we finished, what, four points behind them? Yep. And yet that was that was seen as, an, uh, as a complete anomaly and freak, which it is under the circumstances and i don't get this this weird misplaced arrogance that that they think that oh every, every team should play the same way every team should play the way that we play not mm. every team can play the way that they play and they certainly can't do it as well so why, why well they we... don't like it because it nearly works well, exactly. exactly that's the thing yes. <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, pep, pep guardiola is, i'm sure is probably the most charming charming man in the world when he's winning easily because yeah, it's, exactly. it's, very, it's very easy to be gracious when you've um, when you've won a game comfortably and, and you've not had to not had to work hard or, do, or try something different. Um, we defended well. We defended in numbers. And I mean, to be honest, I mean, that first half, they passed the ball around, but didn't have a shot on target, I don't think. No, it's not until the 70th um, minute, was it, when they scored? And given the talent available um, to them, they were, and given what they were up against, they were poor. And ultimately, they're... They're only spouting their mouth off because they know they got away with one. They didn't play well. And it was a game that they obviously came into the game fully expecting to run up, run up the score again mm. and got a bit of a surprise. And it's like, well, what are you expecting teams to do? Why would we go and play City at their own game and lose probably 9-0? Yeah. I don't think, I don't think that would be an unrealistic outcome in, in that scenario when, when they are that much better at playing that way. It's, it's all well and good um, trying to play a attacking an open game against, um, I don't know, say Crystal Palace or Watford or Newcastle or so, someone theoretically vaguely around our level. 
you're trying to win the game in a, in a slightly different way there. But when you go up against the teams who have got so much attacking power, you have to take a defensive mindset. There is no other alternative, which I mean, is kind of mildly depressing in a long-term sort of what are we in this for kind of way. That is what the game is now. There are leagues within the league and we're not in the same one as City are. Exactly. It's almost comments that would make you want to uh, see someone else win the league if that other team wasn't Liverpool. But there we go. Um, yeah, all, all on Leicester then. Exactly, yeah. Um, Lucy, look, we've spoken a lot about lineups and formations the last few weeks. So what did you make of the likes of Alex McCarthy and Jack Stevens, who had a, a pretty decent week all in all, and Stuart Armstrong, players like that coming back into the, the Premier League starting them? Did you think it was the right call? I find it quite difficult at the moment to make judgments about the team sheet because A, when it comes out, I very rarely understand what it's about. And (laughs) and B, um, there's been quite a lot of change. Wouldn't have really kind of picked myself. But Mm. I actually thought Ralph actually got quite a lot of things right in the sense that I didn't really understand why Vestergaard had started on paper. But actually, um, and I think he identified it himself recently, he said that Man City had developed this habit of putting a lot of crosses in so against Wolves and against Norwich they'd put in we're talking in kind of like 20 or 30 crosses um, and he clearly thought that Vestergaard was the kind of man to deal with this especially when you've got someone like Aguero who isn't particularly big mm. uh, and I think it was by half time they put in 31 crosses or right. something like that something huge um, so in that sense uh, you know there were some kind of calls that I you know wouldn't have necessarily picked myself but as the game wore on, I kind of understood the logic of them. And I think for Armstrong, um, mm. although I know the goal is, is essentially created by an Edison error, um, I think his willingness to have a shot in that position has been something we've lacked quite yeah. a lot recently, um, especially from midfield players. Um, and, and although, you know, it, it is lucky that Edison doesn't doesn't really deal with it. Um, I thought that contribution was kind of something we'd lacked and, and probably, you know, it kind of paid off in a way you probably wouldn't expect. Um, so, yeah, I think there are elements I can get behind. I think Stevens thing, I think he has had a decent week. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think there are some defensive changes which feel less like conscious tactical changes and more like, well, we have let's no other just options. change it. Yeah, let's just change it and see what happens because it can't get much worse. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, making more specific judgments on those kinds of things. Um, it's difficult. I think McCarthy had earned the right to start. And then whatever curse we have on our goalkeepers struck. Um, so, again, I don't know where he goes from here. Presumably gives McCarthy another go. Um, but, yes, yeah, difficult. I don't think whoever plays in goal has much chance. <laughs> exactly. So, um, look, Steve, before I ask Adam about Ralph, obviously, as uh, Lucy mentioned there, Stuart Armstrong created the goal through Edison's error, but it was good to see James Ward-Prowse following in, at least being in quite an attacking position. Um, I think it was as late as Thursday, I was still saying that he should be dropped and uh, given a, a rest, but Ralph obviously still wants him in the team, and having spoken about players he can trust, obviously sees him as someone that he can trust, but I guess we're all hoping now that that goal could sort of kickstart his season, because he's been pretty poor to date, so maybe that'll be the, the momentum he needs. Yeah, potentially, although, I mean, I would temper that by saying that we've been here many many times before haven't we, we have. and um he has these little runs of sort of six to eight weeks where where he does look as if he's kind of got things sorted and then he'll slip back into his old ways and become completely anonymous again mm. so um yeah i mean we'll see how that one pans out this time but it's good that he was got into that position because you would imagine us away at city you wouldn't be getting that many midfielders forward in into their penalty area 
Um, so for him to have been the one reacting, if things had got there, then you'd, you'd say, well, that's that's where he should be. Um, but the fact that a central midfielder's got there is is good. I mean, I think the whole thing with him playing or not playing, I think, is basically down to lack of other suitable options mm. because, I mean, obviously we played with all four of our recognised central midfielders uh, yesterday with Hoiberg playing in at left wing back, although it was effectively just left back, wasn't it, with a back five, yep. which by the sound of it, he did, he did OK there, but it's not a... I mean, you shouldn't really be having to put your captain and and one of your central midfielders in in that position. Um, but I mean, that's that's a reflection on other issues that we have. I think if we had more available um, central midfielders, then perhaps the likes of War Prowse and Hoiberg would have had some time on the sideline. But as it is, we've kind of got to run with it. And okay, I mean, they've done all right this week. Speaking of Ralph, then Adam, it's been quite an eye opener. For him, the the last week or so. I mean, he said it made him a better manager. The nine nil loss. What what do you think he's sort of got from from that? The reaction that's come off the back of that game, then the two games against City. Uh, from his point of view, personally. Oh, it's hard to know, isn't it? Really. I mean, a few more grey hairs, perhaps. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Well, I, I saw. Wrinkles. I saw. I mean, I, I saw he mentioned. I know you've spoken before about the the fact that he obviously works long hours, you know, sort of mentioned that he'd gone from working his normal 8 to 8 to almost mentioning 24 hours thinking. And I guess as a fan, you sort of think, well, being a workaholic, Adam, is, is obviously commendable and understandable in some instances, but likewise can sort of lead to probably muddled and sort of tired thinking, kind of, you can kind of overdo it. Yeah, I, do, I think the problem with, with the management is that it's it becomes a bit all-consuming in that that's kind of all they've got to think about in some ways. Um, actually... The, the truth is he doesn't need to think about it that much. That's the honest truth. I mean, you, you know, people, obviously everybody likes to think their job's desperately important most of the time, but he's, you know, it's what he's got to do is, is, is not a job that requires 24 hours of seven days a week thinking times. Mm-hmm. But when things are going badly, obviously it is completely all consuming, but I mean, that's the same for most people in their jobs, isn't it? You know, how many people, when they go through a tough time at work, have, some sleepless nights where they're thinking about things and problems and how to, to solve them and stuff. I guess it's no different than whenever anybody's in a stressful situation in life. But um, yeah, I, I, I think the truth is that the nine nil would have hurt him. And that's, that's the thing. It's obviously it would have hurt him. I mean, the guy's got professional pride. Um, you can't do the job he does without having a little bit of an ego as well. Yep. And so that is going to hurt both of those things quite considerably, because as we said, and, and to be fair, as he's himself admitted, as I said last week on the pod, that that never goes away now. He's always a manager who lost a game 9-0 at home. Um, and, and frankly, it's embarrassing. And yeah, so I mean, his thing is like, how how do we get over it, really? Um and I guess he learns a lot about the players and in, in terms of their character and the way that they come into training and, and they either, you know, shirk away and it's somebody else's fault or they hold their hands up and say, yeah, I played my part in that and I want to put it right. And I guess from his point of view, that's probably um, quite an important lesson. And I, I guess maybe if you look at the team selections um, subsequently, we've learned a little bit about who he thinks are the big characters and who he thinks aren't. Mm. Ultimately, then, Lucy, I mean, 
it was a, a positive performance from Saints against City, but it is another defeat, and of course one I think that most of us expected, albeit the score was a, a lot more positive, certainly uh, compared to my 6-0 prediction, but it does leave us in a precarious position after 11 games now, when I guess many feel the sort of table has taken shape for the season, when you think that we're effectively now four points from safety with the uh, goal difference after Everton's draw against Spurs, so some positives to take from the game, but in terms of the overall position for the, the season ahead, not ideal. No, the, the groundwork for that was made. I mean, the goal difference was, was made last week, but I think the groundwork for that has been made over a long period. There's a reason why we, we think the, the table's taken shape by this point in the season because mm. we, we've had, you know, 11 games. Um, I think the one positive there is, is that you'd say that the majority of the home games, bad as our former home is, the majority of the home games have been, have been tough ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the away games we, could have got a bit more out of um I, I think those fixtures start to turn over the next few weeks um and, and things look a lot more winnable in theory if if your form's a little bit better um and i think actually probably the shape of our season is probably defined by the next five or six weeks i think rather than the 11 now i think yeah we are four points off if you if you can take that goal difference into into hand but if you then look above that, then there are <laughs> up to Man United on 13 points in 10th. That's five points away, if you see what I mean? I yep. don't take the goal difference into account. So, like, there's a, there's a lot that can change at this stage of the season, particularly when we've seen so many teams looking quite inconsistent. I'm thinking kind of like the West Ham's, the Burnley's look really good in one game and then not so good in the next. Um, a team like Everton wouldn't expect to be where they are. Um, and I think the encouraging thing for us next week is that as bad as our home form is, their away forms even <laughs> worse. So I think, yeah, it's it's a problem. But I think we've been on a journey over the last week, which we had to get on very quickly. Um, I can understand Adam's frustration with the way we went around about the midweek game because Ralph himself pretty much admitted that we didn't even try to win that game. But it was about stabilising the situation. Um so perhaps, you know, that was kind of the necessary step to the performance we saw on Saturday. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of optimistic that things are capable of going in the right direction now. Um, and yeah, I think the next next five games or so are crucial. Bobby Stokes. Yes, it's time for our latest Total Recall in partnership with SaintsArchive.com and this is a very special one. The word legend is often used widely in football these days, not always for truly appropriate reasons, but our guest today is absolutely a legend. Having made well over 350 senior appearances for Saints, scoring one goal which we all remember with fondness, being awarded the freedom of our fantastic city in 2016 and having undertaken numerous incredible charity events, it's Saints legend Francis Benali. Franny, welcome to TSP, our pleasure to have you on. 
Uh, thanks ever so much, Ben. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to spending a bit of time with you and answering some questions. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, look, we're going to have a, a chat through your career because I'm sure Saints fans uh, all around the world, they'll know a lot about you already, Franny, but I'm sure there'll be some bits that they won't. So we're going to have a chat through your career and then more uh, recent, your non-playing years. So heading back to 1985 then, Franny, like many of us, albeit not as successfully, certainly on my part, uh, you started in the Tyree League before joining representing Saints and Hampshire schools, etc. So as you're often reminded, yeah. no doubt, we're playing as a striker in the those days so what do you remember of that period in your life and how challenging it was trying to sort of make your way in the game and I guess try and get noticed by a, a club like Saints? I guess it all happened pretty quickly for me in many ways Ben um, you know I, I was playing like many of us back then in that era you know either playing a bit of football in the street in the park or in the playground with your mates so um, you know I wasn't playing for an organised team up until I got spotted playing from a middle school playing in the five-a-side competition up at the sports centre um, by a, a manager of one of the, the Tara League teams, Windsor United, um, who used to play their games out at Testwood School in Totten. Yeah. Um, and he asked if I'd go along and would I be interested in playing for a team. And of course, you know, not playing for anyone other than my friends and uh, and, and in the, the, a couple of school games, um, I was absolutely delighted. You know, it was an opportunity to play a bit more football. And, and as you mentioned, it was as a as a striker back in those days. And, you know, for those that, that may have uh, sort of played uh, with or against me that, that may remember, um, you know, I was, I was pretty big and strong for my age, which gave me a real advantage in those teenage years. So, yeah, I, I used to score quite a few goals and, you know, just thoroughly enjoyed that, that, that period of my football in my life and, you know, very quickly caught the attention of, um, of Southampton and a, and a few other clubs who were interested in signing me as a schoolboy. But um, it was it was always a... An easy decision for me, signing for from a hometown club and, and joining Saints and Associated Schoolboy at 14. Yeah, and at a similar time, you represented England Schoolboys, of course. So scoring on your debut against Northern Ireland, I I know I, I was doing my research on your website talking about playing in front of 60,000 people over in Germany as well, Franny. So not only playing for England Schoolboys, but obviously scoring on your debut must have been a, a very special moment as well. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, sort of that was up at Scarborough uh, against Northern Ireland, as you mentioned, and. I think we won the game one nil that, that on that occasion. So it was great to score the one and only goal, and 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 then again scoring in that that game in in what was sort of against West Germany in in Berlin in the Olympic Stadium. Uh, albeit we ended up getting summoned by West Germany that day. I think you know they're an, an awesome side. Mm. Um, so yeah, some some great experiences and playing a couple of times at Wembley as again as a teenager was 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 just a a, a dream at that age. You know to sort of play at such an iconic stadium and venue um, and then I guess the next aim was to work towards earning an apprenticeship you know once it was at school leaving age yeah and look, moving forward then you, you obviously made your uh, Saints uh, debut in October of 1988 when you came on as a 19 year old substitute against Derby County 0-0 at the Dow so we all know you love Saints just as much as the rest of us and uh, as a local lad then Franny what was it like making your debut in the, the red and white stripes and sort of finally getting that chance to run out on the hallowed turf at the Dow yeah, it was a, a very special moment then. You know, it's been something that I'd obviously been working towards for, for some time. And, and as you know, many Saints supporters would know, we had a, a, a real strong crop of players coming through at the time. Obviously, mm. you know, Matt had already broken through. And, you know, I, I think he sort of led the way for, for, for many of us. And there was a number of other guys that had already broken through and played a number of games. And in the year group below us, we had sort of like Rodney Wallace, Alan yep. Shearer, and Neil Madison, guys like that. So it's you know, it was a real sort of strong youth setup at the time, and it was uh, it was just 
a, a, a dream for me, you know, going from a boy standing on the terraces watching games as a as a schoolboy to to then be playing and and actually making my debut was, was was all a little bit surreal, really. You know, I was trying to take it all in and enjoy it, but at the same time trying to impress to to hopefully sort of get another opportunity again. And look, over the past few months, thanks to our partnership with Saints Archive, we've managed to speak to quite a few ex-Saints players about their memories of the Dow Franny, so the likes of Jim McCallyog and Dave Puckett, Glenn Cockrell, guys that you would have played with. So in terms of the Dow itself, what are your memories of it? Because, you know, somewhere pretty much you called home for your entire career almost, wasn't it? Most definitely, yeah. And, uh, you know, up until we, we made the move to St Mary's, it was it was just somewhere that I I, I always felt completely comfortable with. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was home for many of us. Uh, for so long and but just to to know every every inch of the stadium every every uh, everyone working in and around the ground um just those familiar friendly faces and, and include the supporters in that it's easy to sort of you throw it out and you hear the term sometimes it's a family um but I, I always saw it as that you know everybody knew one another everyone was you know friendly and uh yeah it was, it was just somewhere that i always felt very comfortable and, and enjoyed playing, you know, my football at, yeah. um, and, you know, to get the, you know, it's always close within where I lived as well. You know, I, I grew up in the city center and would walk to the middle school and junior school in Archers road, um, and walk past the Dell in my early days. But again, just walking to the Dell from a, from a home, um, showed how close I was to the stadium, but yeah, to, to then sort of go on and start playing games, at the club for for many years, it was uh, and it was a big big bonus to us, you mm. know, as as a team playing at the Dell, as as the supporters would know, you know, the, the bigger sides of the era did not like coming down to Southampton and playing there, you know, the the, the intensity that we tried to set about teams as players, coupled with you know the, the closeness and the proximity the supporters were to the, to the pitch, made it a really intimidating place to play if if we as players and the supporters were were on top form and as we saw over the years we we, we often sort of pulled off a, a, a big result against the big guns yeah and look we'll come on to talk about the the Leicester game and of course your goal but you played in the famous 2-1 win against Newcastle where Matt scored those two brilliant goals and Mr Bradford almost smiled I think in 93 um in, <laughs> in 94 the Liverpool 4-2 game when Matt scored a hat-trick when I was going through your career there's a theme here that Matt seems to score a lot of goals obviously but uh, um of course uh, I, remember, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I remember being at the Dow for the uh, 3-1 game when we beat Manchester United when we had that that brilliant first half uh, in 1996 and before they changed their kit at halftime of course um, in, in terms of your sort of two or three most memorable matches at the Dow specifically Franny um, is there any that stick in the mind apart from the Leicester one obviously yeah of course you know there's going to be that one I mean the testimonial game was, was yeah. you know a special evening Ben which uh, and we all remember know, for, that goal for very Franny. different reasons well yeah you know I managed to score with my right foot which you know any <laughs> Saint supporter would know would, uh, would almost uh, you know find it quite unbelievable that that actually happened but um yeah it was a, a pretty decent strike was, especially it when it was against Tim Flowers as well <laughs> so you know that was a that was a special night but um I guess from a, a match perspective you know certain ones do stand out and you know everybody has their own particular reasons and and, and the game where I scored in a goal against Leicester of course was mm. a, a special moment but the, the 4-1 victory in my early days I think um, against Liverpool yeah I remember when that when they, they came to Dell sort of unbeaten at that stage I think it was it was either October or November so it was way into the season and they hadn't lost the game at that point and they even went on to win the, the title that year so it, it showed what a big result it was and 
anyone that remembers the game, I certainly felt it out on the pitch. It was almost like every time we attacked, we, we felt we were going to score. Mm. Um, this football at the under Chris Nicol at that time was was very much we could concede a few goals, but we certainly fancied our chances of outscoring the opposition. So it was a, a pretty exciting time to to watch some games, I would imagine, and watch Southampton either home or away. But um, yeah, you mentioned that other one, the three-one victory against United when they changed the shirts. That's often a, a talking point in the wider football community, if you like. Yeah. Uh, not just a special one for Southampton, but I, I, I guess probably like anyone associated with Saints, you know, on those occasions when Sir Alex Ferguson came out and said that, you know, the reason why they were losing was because they couldn't see one another in the great kits. I mean, you know, mm. at some point you've got to, you know, give us credit for for doing well and and beating them, but I guess you know he was uh, he was quite protective, uh, as we know of his United players, and um, yeah. But we were just delighted to get some of those sort of big wins and big victories against some some big sides over the years. One memorable game, probably for all of us, for the wrong reasons. Uh, I know it doesn't get much um, coverage these days, but I think we all probably remember it as Saints fans and Saints players. Was the uh, Saints nil Leeds two game in '96? I, I felt I had to ask you quickly about Ali Dia, Franny, because it's not he's, he doesn't come up that often, does he? But I know I know you weren't involved in the match day squad in the end that day. But as someone that was sort of in and around the club and training with him during that period, did you feel there was something odd going on, or did it just sort of seem desperate times mean desperate actions, and therefore Sunes was potentially likely to sign someone? and give them a try because Saints needed to get out of that rut? I think it was a, just a, a, a bizarre sequence of events, really, Ben. Um, one, there was the, obviously the whole story about, you know, the phone call about being George Weyer and recommending his cousin for a trial. And, um, and then Ali turned up. And as, as club captain, I, I, I often used to pick up players because I lived near the, the hotel where trialists and things would be put up. So, yeah. You know, I often got asked to sort of bring somebody in if they didn't have any transport to the training ground and stuff like that. And you know, and I picked Ali Dyer up the, his first morning of training, and um, you know, he he spun me the the George Ware is my cousin, and he arranged all this story, and and I bought it like everyone else at that point. And you did watch him in training, you thought, blimey, he's not the best. Um, but again, I think there was a reserve game. I think the club were going to probably have a look at him that during the week and and, and, the, and that didn't happen I think it got cancelled or something so you know very weirdly I think we were a bit thin on the, the ground injury wise and all of a sudden he's he's been named amongst the first team squad and been registered as a player you know he, he was obviously needed to come on when I think Matt came off struggling with a calf injury or something so yeah I, I think it was quite evident that they, uh, they, they had to get him off the pitch pretty, pretty sharpish um, yeah. actually seeing what he was he was like but um, yeah real bizarre you know sequence of events that that many played a first team game that which i don't think would ever happen uh, in today's game that's nah, for sure I, I remember being i was sat lower west that day and you, you saw he came on you thought as a as a fan you thought oh brilliant here's a new hero to get behind you know someone that's going to be he's going to bang in 20 goals and yeah an hour, <laughs> hour later you thought crikey if he can get a game i can probably get a game so uh, <laughs> there we go but look, i mean far more importantly then um obviously we mentioned the leicester game so 13th of december 97 a special day as you mentioned scoring uh, your only professional goal for saints um you know, lucky as we were just talking before we started, I was in the stadium that day, so one of the few. But can vividly remember it. Um, I, you know, certainly I think for all of us, it, it, certainly as fans, and I speak for myself, incredibly emotional moment for us, having seen you play for that many years. And the goal, you know, in terms of Matt crossing it over to everyone to the far side of the box, and you unmarked guiding yeah. header back towards the far post, and 
going in off the underside of the bar and I, I, I seem to remember because I, I remember you running off towards the east stand and you did that sort of halo celebration and I, I remember sort of thinking to myself ah, that was Benali and then going hold on there that was Benali you know I think for all of us it was uh, you know uh, incredible moment but just just for you whether you're sort of looking back now or at the time I mean getting that goal for Saints you know being able to run off and celebrate it proper competitive goal on the match winner I mean again it must have been a, a special moment that you, you'll always sort of hold on to Oh for sure yeah a, a moment that I'd always almost pictured and, and hoped would happen obviously long before it, it actually did but um, yeah I, I, I think I'd had a few goal celebrations you know <laughs> ticking through my mind what I would do if I eventually scored or when I eventually scored and, and when that moment came against Leicester and I, I think myself plus the entire stadium um, almost for that split second or two just sort of like the, the ground went silent didn't it and yeah. you know I think in shock more than anything else, thinking that it, you know, was that really Franny that just scored, and then um, <laughs> all of a sudden the whole stadium just erupted, didn't it? Which was which exactly. was an incredible thing to experience, and uh, yeah, my my goal celebration went completely out of my head. I think I just <laughs> stood there screaming and jumped into somebody's arms, and then got you know all piled on by the rest of rest of the guys and the team. But um, yeah, just delighted that you know I, I managed to get one, and what made it even more special was the fact that it. It, it came and, 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 you know, so many Saints supporters were able to, to witness it. It was a home goal rather than, you know, scoring in an away game, maybe that might have been a defeat or something like that, which might not have quite had the same impact. So, yeah, I was, I was pleased to have at least got one. Yeah, and, and and obviously with Matt, you know, everyone knows what great mates you are now, but for him setting up as well was probably quite nice for him to sort of share that moment. Yeah, it made a change for him not shooting, to be honest. <laughs> it? It was, whenever there was a free kick, quite often Matt... Uh, bit of magic but um yeah i guess it was a little bit too far out that day and um a bit of sense to try and pick somebody else out but he'll it, probably tell you that he picked me out feeling a bit sorry for me or something <laughs> so i wasn't marked but yeah it, it was nice that it was a, a decent header as well it was, you know wasn't just like a little tap in which I, I still would have taken but uh yeah. Yeah, at least it was a, a, a half-decent header. No, indeed. And, and look, as, as a player then, having been part of the last few games at the Dell, so the Arsenal game at home when Matt again scored that emotional winner and playing Brighton in the very last game and that sort of thing, yeah. did, did, did the move to St Mary's that obviously came about make sense? You know, we spoke earlier about the, the leveller that the Dell bought. So as a player, did you kind of feel that you were sort of losing that, that sort of leveller status or did you understand that the club obviously needed to move on and it wanted to develop? Yeah, no, I think we we very much realised to, to compete and move forward and improve as a club that move to some areas was crucial at the time. Um, but at, at the same moment, it was always a, a, a difficult transition, I think, especially for those of us that had been at the club, you know, our entire careers. Um, obviously, there was only Matt and, and a handful of others that were sort of coming through and Matt Oakley and Jason Dodd and guys like that. There's a few few boys that have been at Southampton for some time but yeah it, it, looking back on it it was a, a, a quite a strange transition because we did know the Dell that well and it, and it was home for so long that when we did move, make the move to St Mary's everyone will remember it, it, it took us quite some time to, to settle into our new surroundings and, yeah. and, and make it feel like a, 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 an actual home but yeah you know it's, it's, it seems you know obviously a long time ago now the, the, the Dell and those memories but um, we're a lot more comfortable playing at St Mary's nowadays but uh, yeah it's, it, at the time it was very much a, a, an exciting transition but a, a tough 
point to make as well. Yeah, and uh, by the time Saints sort of moved to St Mary's in August 2001, you were 32, I think, and, and there were teammates like Wayne Bridge that were obviously making that left-back position a lot more competitive. So from the, the sort of yeah. stadium point of view, did it kind of reinvigorate you to want to play more regularly, or did you kind of realise at that stage of your career, Franny, that it was more about supporting and nurturing some of the younger players like Wayne, who I think was 21 at the time, so still learning his trade as well? Yeah, no, Bridgie and I sort of played quite a few games in, in, inside over a period of time and, you know, it was good to, to, to play as a left-back behind him and I guess ultimately of, of all the players I managed to, to, to sort of keep out the side when they'd been signed to replace me, I was I was pleased to sort of hand that position and hand the reins over, if you like, to, to Bridgie because he was, he was a local boy and, um, you know, he was a Saints supporter as well and, you know, and, and, and ultimately he's a fabulous footballer. Um, a good player and um, yeah I, I thought a lot of him but I always saw it as my role as a senior player at the time to even with you know somebody like Bridgie who you're effectively sort of talking to and giving some advice to to, to knowing that you know he's in your position and, and likely to take the place in the long term and um, you know he he did that he established himself in the side and I guess by that stage of getting to St Mary's I was playing not very often or very little in the first team you know Bridgie was I think he went a, a Premier League record of not missing a minute's football for about two or three seasons or something. Yeah. So it was always difficult for me in some ways to to sort of keep training and stay focused day in, day out, you know, in the case that I might be needed if Bridgie picked up an injury or was left out for any reason. Um, so, yeah, that that was difficult. But that, that, that made my little call-up when in 2003 when we had the cup run to Cardiff to the FA Cup final, that when Bridgie did pick up a little little knock that I was able to step in and make a few appearances and hopefully not let anybody down yeah no, and, and as you mentioned I mean I was just going to sort of talk about that because yeah your, your sort of final competitive game came in the in the run against uh, Millwall didn't it so uh, and then of course your last appearance for Saints was in the Ted Bates Trophy at uh, St Mary's in 2004 January against Bayern Munich so again we, right. we spoke about you know playing at home scoring at home that sort of thing but for you to sort of end up playing against a team like Bayern Munich prestigious opponent at home you know memorial and a sort of trophy for Ted Bates again must have been a well whilst the sad way to end but uh, an exciting and sort of you know pleasing way to end as well if that makes sense yeah I tried to put a positive spin on it it, it was it was very much the, a, a night of mixed emotions Ben you know mm. I, I, I realised it was the last time I was going to be pulling on a, a Saints shirt in front of you know the, all the supporters and um, it, it was an opportunity and Gordon Strachan was great you know he he said to me beforehand, this is going to be a, an opportunity for you to, to thank the fans for their support over the years and vice versa. And um, yeah, it was, it was very much an emotional night uh, and one that I, I won't forget. Um, and uh, yeah, at the same time, it was, it was an exciting one in some ways, getting the chance to play against the side like Bayern. You know, we had sort of like the likes of Michael Ballack and Dustin Schweinsteiger on the side and actually swapped shirts with Schweinsteiger at the end of the game although I didn't realise it was him that swapped shirts with um, you know I was in a little bit of a, a day sort of yeah. like just trying to pick my family out in the crowd and you know just sort of the most of those last few minutes out on the pitch all in all then Franny just to sort of finish that part of your career before we move into some of the other stuff briefly um, as you look back then 20 years 389 appearances for Saints including 243 in the Premier League I don't think you would have done but is there any of it you would have changed? Uh, no in all honesty, Ben, no, not at all. It would have been nice to have had maybe 
a few more goals and a, a less red cards. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't regret or change anything from my career whatsoever. Yeah. All right then. Well, before we finish off talking about uh, life after Saints, um, I, I had a sort of few quick fire questions that I thought might be uh, fun to, to run past you. So, sure. Other than Matt, because I think he'd probably be the obvious answer. Who was the best player you ever played with at Saints? Uh, oh, blimey, there were so many. Um, <laughs> and certainly, you know, it, it's hard to single out a, a, a single player. Uh, but I'll, I'll name some names. I mean, yeah. Rodney Wallace was a, a fabulous player to play behind. You know, he, he often made some of my iffy passing, you know, look pretty good at times because <laughs> he was so quick. But, uh, yeah, he was a, a, a good player to play behind, especially in those early days. Um, Jimmy Case was very much a... Um, that senior pro in the team in the early days guiding us through along you know, players like Nick Holmes and Russ Osman and players like them, Glenn Cockrell. Yeah, so there's you know, some, some real top professionals that we, we sort of learned to play alongside and under who were sort of more experienced than us as youngsters at the time. Yeah, um, yeah just you know, Marion Pars was, a, was a, a wonderful striker in later years, people like James Beattie and that. Um, Dean Richards was a good centre-half um, Klaus Lindefarm, Ken Mulcair, just you know, I've yeah. just got so many fond memories of, of teammates and players that I played with and alongside. Counted not just as a, an honour to represent and play for Southampton, but to play with so many top players as well and, and, and great characters at the same time. Yeah, and and again, you've obviously played through lots of different eras. So in terms of, I was trying to think of your toughest opponent, but again, there may be a couple. I mean, obviously, you would have gone through a variety of players uh, in the early years and then up towards the likes of Beckham and people like that that would have played against you. So who did you find? If, yeah. if, if Is there anyone that sticks in the mind as being the, the one that always you felt got the rub over you or did you uh, generally sort of keep them in check? Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to think I, I sort of did okay over the years against them. And I can't ever remember one player or really sort of giving me real problems game in, game out. I mean, there's lots of you know, incredible quality and... Uh, like you mentioned Beckham was a was a fabulous footballer playing in a strong side in that era. And there's others, you know, when I was used as a man marker to, to mark strikers like former teammate Alan Shearer, um, Klinsman, uh, Cantona, whoever it may have been. You know, I, I, I relished those sort of roles and trying to stop those players playing. And you know, I guess one I always had long running battles with would have been players like Ian Wright, you know, mm. who uh, you know, often did score against us, which maybe not say an awful lot about my job on the day but um, yeah he was a, you know, just a fabulous footballer with a, with a real edge to him as well and a, a confidence and a cockiness that you know I didn't like at the time but you know I've met him a few occasions uh, since our playing days and well even during our playing days I got to meet him and um, actually thought what a top guy he was yeah. Um, so yeah my opinion of him certainly changed but he was he was always a tough player to come up against Last couple then, so which away ground did you most look forward to playing at? Was there any, again, that you sort of always looked for it when the fixtures came out? I, I think there were certain stadiums just historically that, you know, as, as a boy growing up, you know, you were aware of, you knew of, and they were just big teams of the era. Um, and, and, you know, fabulous stadiums and playing surfaces. I guess three maybe sort of stand out. The Old Trafford, Highbury and Anfield yeah. were, were like three stadiums that I always you was going to be one a, a tough game and a tough place to go and play, but at the same time it was um, you know be pinching yourself a little bit, thinking you know what what a fantastic venue to be playing at. I, I think uh, when I was totaling up, I made it nine different managers that you played with during your Saints career. Um, 
I'm sure you got on well with all of them, Franny, and no doubt they were respected you and, and vice versa. But is there one of them that sort of sticks in the mind as that was the manager that you got on best with and maybe played your best? I mean, Matt always talks about Alan Ball, doesn't he? But from your point of view, sort of anyone that stuck in the mind in terms of how well you got on and why? Yeah, I tried to learn something from all of them. Um, and, you know, tried to do my, my best for, for everyone that I played for. But, um, yeah, I, I guess that I always had a soft spot for Dave Merrington. Yeah. Um, you know, he was our youth coach for for a few seasons, and then when he took charge of uh, the first team as well, you know, we knew Dave extremely well, and he knew all about us, especially the youngsters that come through the system. Like you mentioned, Matt saying about Borley, he, he just he got a World Cup winner walking through the front door, and you know, commanding that respect and that passion and love that he just oozed, sort of rubbed off on everybody, and, and he used me as that man marker as well as a centre half, mm. which uh, which I really relished as well. So. You know, enjoyed you know, playing for him, um, and, and, and as I say, learned stuff from all of them. But you know, striking again in those in the, in the sort of twilight years, if you like, was um, was very good to me, keeping me involved in and around the squad, and um, was a large in life character as well. So yeah, you know, those, those names can be sort of sticking out. Yeah, just briefly then, we're not going to talk too much about the current Saints team because obviously it's a, a tough rut that we're uh, in at the moment. But sort of focusing on it from a player's point of view, Franny, and we're talking the day after the the cup game, just in case people are trying to get a feeling of when we're we're chatting here. So Saints yeah. have obviously lost nine nil last week, and they've got Man City to come this weekend. Then, um, as someone who was caught up in a few relegation battles, which I think as fans lots of us loved, because partly because we survived most of them, how hard is it to get out of a rut like this that the the team are currently in to sort of get that confidence back and get some points? on the board or is it a bigger challenge than maybe some of us think no it, it, it can be you know difficult Ben but uh, you know I've, I've, I've been as many supporters would know we've we've had some heavy defeats in the past and, and I've been on the wrong end of some some big results as well and um, I, I guess ultimately it's, 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 it's character it's, it's that togetherness it's showing that spirit that fighting spirit when when your backs are against the wall and you certainly feel a, a, a you owe the supporters. Um, you know, you always feel that that responsibility that you've you've got to put in a performance and an effort level. Um, you know, for them as a, as a basic requirement. But you know, th- th- that just takes on even more importance. You know, after a heavy defeat like we did see against Leicester. Um, but it needs those individuals, uh, as a person, as an individual player yourself, to sort of stand up and show some spirit and character. And then collectively coming together to do that in a game as well, and mm. you know we can we can all talk so much, but there comes a point where actions speak louder than words, and the only place you're going to do that is on the training ground, and then most importantly in in matches, um, and, and you've just got to somehow try and turn it around, whether you just grind out a performance or a result just to try and get a point, you know, and then work your way back into it to start getting some victories and things like that, but. Yeah, very, very much a, a tough moment of the season for us at this moment in time, but I'm confident we'll come through that. Yeah. All right, so um, not only were you a legend on the pitch then, Franny, but since retiring, as everyone knows, you've become probably, arguably, even more of a legend off of it, thanks to the uh, amazing charity work you've undertaken. Before I have a quick chat about Iron Fran, where did the desire come from initially to sort of start carrying out so many of these brilliant and committed charity events? Over a period of years, you know, sort of post-playing days, Fitness has always been such a, a big thing of my, my my playing career, and you know wanted to be the fittest as I could be, and you know drive the squad on as well through that that side of uh, you know the game, and just sort of having something to work towards. You know, 
football, there's always that goal of either being in the team or playing the next game. And to not have that in your life any longer, you know, just going to the gym or for a run just for the sake of keeping fit without a real goal to work towards can be a little bit sort of teething sometimes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I ran the 2006 London Marathon, really enjoyed that. And then over the subsequent years, started really becoming intrigued by some of the ultra endurance stuff that I'm starting to see around the world people doing and wanting to test myself in that sort of situation and environment and obviously sort of ended up by doing the running to all the, the Premier League stadiums on my first challenge um, which was a, obviously a connection to my, my past as a footballer so um, yeah and just sort of seeing how I you know trying to ultimately not just raise a lot of money for a fantastic cause but trying to push those boundaries and find my my breaking points as well and after the three challenges now I've, I think I've certainly found that <laughs> yeah um, I mean obviously they've all been incredibly rewarding I'm sure for you as, as much as the, the beneficiaries as well um, as I mentioned Iron Fram was obviously the most recent one where you raised a, an amazing you know over a million pound for cancer research after you set about the, the seven Ironmans in seven days again looking back now and, and what you've spoken about there Franny how emotional it was for all of us watching and I'm sure not least for you actually undertaking it I mean I know you've spoken about it a lot, but how tough was it to do from a sort of personal point of view, despite the amazing amount of money you raised? Yeah, you know, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's um, you know, it's sometimes difficult to explain, you know, that when you put yourself in those moments where you're just completely and utterly physically drained, emotionally you're you're on the floor, um, mentally you're drained, and you know. It's, almost every sinew and effort within your body of trying to just keep moving or putting one foot in front of the other is is an extreme challenge. But with a huge amount of support, my wife, my children, the support team, mm. people further afield who are making donations or sending messages of support just, you know, drove you on. And, and ultimately, I guess, sort of the, the reason why we're doing it to, to, to have an impact on people's lives with the fundraising, hopefully. So, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, it was a wonderful experience for me. I, I, I wouldn't be in a rush to go back to those those real dark moments in the challenge, and, and even the sort of it's, it's not just the challenge itself. You know, it's a big commitment once you make that decision to do something, you know, make an announcement that you're doing it. It's the months and months of training and preparation, and it's it's not just the training for me. It's the logistics, it's the meetings that people put time and effort in. You know, you've got to remember there's a big support team and a lot of people that have either sponsored, donated, given up their time. You know, they're members of the support team that were taking annual holidays mm. um, unpaid to come and support me on the challenges. So, you know, it, it, it goes to show what a team effort everybody put in um, to, to help us reach that, that goal and ultimately support me getting through the challenges, which I'll, I'll be forever grateful for. Yeah, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth here. We, I, I think we're all aware you don't do it for the adulation, Franny. But you know, one of the things you, you, you obviously did achieve this year was 2019 Pride of Britain nomination for that effort, thanks to votes from many of us who just wanted to show some thanks to you for for what you had done. So again, the sort of cherry on the top in terms of finishing Iron Fran, getting the one million pound, um, you know, plus, and then obviously getting a nomination for that as well for your fundraising. Yeah, that was that, that was lovely, you know, and. and, and it- and it's a big, huge thank you to everyone that that, that sort of votes on you know, plus before for these nominations. It's um, you know I I I, I lost out on the regional award to a, a very worthy winner. Um, you know all the all the nominees in our region were, were fantastic, um, and yeah I was I was I 
was very delighted to to be nominated in the first place, but very uh, pleased for the, the, the lady Sarah who went on to win and went through to the national awards. But um, yeah, you know things like that are, are, are very nice, and it's, it's very kind of people to to put forward for these things. But um, like I say, it's, it's I, I just really relish finding those boundaries for me. Hopefully, inspiring people to to do things. It, it, it doesn't have to be a, a ridiculously big challenge. It, it might just be getting up off the sofa, getting my exercise in, um, and, and, and hopefully inspiring people to, to take things on in their own, own lives that they might have felt was impossible and actually raising the money for, for a good cause as well. Yeah. Before we finish up then, Franny, the last thing, as I mentioned at the start of this, you were granted the uh, Freedom of Southampton in 2016. In your normal understated manner, you said you were shocked and surprised and that it was nice to be thought of. Um, after everything you'd given for our city and our football club, as, as well as the charity work, of course, how much does it mean to, to you to have that as a, a local lad as well? Oh, it, it, it's a wonderful feeling, yeah. It's, um, it's difficult that you know, we, we, we've got up in the house and you know, I often look at it with, with great pride and Gives me a real warm glow, you know. I've, I've, I've got the old uh, for those of us that are old enough to remember that that, that ready black glow around me um, <laughs> when I think of things like that. So um, yeah, to have the support and um, you know the, the, the kind words of, uh, of you know things like that from people is, is, is something that I'm you know I'm, I'm very grateful for, and um, you know, I, I hope I'll be able to continue doing positive things in the future as well. Yeah, although I seem to remember that, so I may be wrong here, but I think, wasn't it deemed purely ceremonial, so you, you, you can't do things like drive your sheep through the city, is that right? Which I'm sure disappointed <laughs> you slightly, right? <laughs> well, it, you know, that, that's something that quite intrigues me, to be honest. I think there might be some, uh, some sort of ancient bylaw that uh, means I might be able to do that. So, yeah, if, uh, if you see me heading down the high street and driving some sheep through the bar gate, you know, you know why I'd like to do it, but... Um, yeah, it, it, it certainly doesn't bring any benefits about getting uh, any free parking in town or anything like that, I'm afraid. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just wonderful to have that, that honour. Yeah, no, excellent. Well, on a, a serious note, I mean, you are a, a true Saints legend, Franny, a, a cult hero. You gave your heart and soul on the pitch for our club, for your club, and uh, continuing to inspire others since you finished playing. So thanks for being a part of this Total Recall, and thank you for everything you've done, and obviously keep doing for our city. Uh, thanks, Ben. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Next up for Saints is the visit of Everton to St Mary's. Um, Steve, in the context of the season then, as we were just discussing before uh, Franny came on, how big do you believe this game is for Saints now? It's one of those games where you've got to set down a marker for how the rest of the season is going to go. I think everyone, while obviously the, the Leicester game was kind of an exceptional sort of blow up of all of our issues kind of being magnified and thrust in front of the uh, the public gaze. I think everybody recognises that our run of fixtures um, has been quite tough, mm. um, as Lucy said just now. And this is the point where it, it theoretically turns. I mean, Everton, by budget, should be what's probably eighth in the league. Um, but at the moment, their performances aren't really um, demonstrating that. And it's it's those sort of um, games against opponents who are probably underperforming where you've got to put a show on yourself 
and level the playing field a little bit. Their record at St Mary's is largely poor. Mm. Um, I mean, not quite as bad as our record up there, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they, they generally come down here and don't tend to get much. So that should give us, hopefully should give us a bit of confidence. Um, and if they've worked all week on particular ways that they can hurt Everton, their fullbacks are quite good from an attacking perspective, but they're not anything special defensively. And obviously their central midfield has been taken to pieces by what happened in, in that game today. So I think they're going to be a little bit of a bitty side. I think I'm, I'm not sure their I'm not sure their system really works to suit their players. So it's one of those where if we can get, if we get a little bit of early momentum in the game, um, make sure we're in the game for as long as possible. Don't give away anything stupid, which we haven't done now for ooh, two games, <laughs> then maybe um, that's that's a potential corner to turn. Yeah, of course, as you were mentioning there, the Andre uh, Gomez tackle. So, yeah, um, pretty horrific, so I think, just from all of us here. Um, obviously, wish him good luck and best wishes. Um, Lucy, from a, an Everton point of view, then... Uh, they have been, I was, I was going to say they've been fairly unpredictable this season, but they haven't really because they've been generally as bad as uh, we've been. But they will arrive to St Mary's with only one Premier League win in uh, seven. So bearing in mind the squad that they've got, the amount of money that they spent in the summer, what have you made of them and uh, Marco Silva? I don't think there's any secret the fact Marco Silva's under a huge amount of pressure. Mm. Um, I wonder if the events of, of Sunday are going to almost give him a little bit of respite because I think, understandably, you know, a lot of people at the club are going to be quite shaken by what's happened today. Mm. Um, there is no doubt that given how much money they've spent, they are not where they expect it to be. They've been quite decent at home. I think 10 of their 11 points were at home. Um, so that should give us encouragement in terms of their away form. But they clearly have problems and have had problems since Kuman went there in finding a way of spending their money in a way which serves them well, which kind of makes sense as a strategy um, and kind of holds things together. I think they went through a period where they just bought number 10s for no apparent reason. Yep. Um, they've now got quite a lot of central midfielders, Andre Gomez unfortunately being the best of them, and it, it's not quite gone as they expected. I think Steve is right in the sense that their fullbacks offer quite a lot of a, a kind of outlet from for them from an attacking perspective, and I would think the way Ben Chilwell pulled us apart um, last week would be quite a concern given Lucas Dean's a massive part of, of how they construct goals and indeed got an assist today. Yep. Um, so I would think that would be something that Ralph would be looking at. Um, but no, I think Everton know that they are under a huge amount of pressure to get a result. And, and in that sense, if they win, they've kind of pulled themselves clear of it. Um, and, and if we win, I wouldn't be surprised to see Marco Silva fired. That does feel like one of those games, doesn't it? And from a Saints point of view then, Adam, how much of a hinder... Will the memory of the the nine nil at St Mary's be? Do you think? Because we know that a lot of these Saints players are quite uh, mentally fragile. It's not been a a great at home for months now, so there's a lot of pressure on Saints as well. Yeah, there's uh, there's immense pressure. I think um, it's almost think must win. A... No, it's not must win after a <laughs> ten games. For goodness sake, it's eleven. But, yeah. Eleven um, games. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It's never must win actually. So what does it matter? No, it's not. It's but you, it's, it's a phrase you roll out so often. You seem such keen on. Exactly. Should get it on a T-shirt. Carry on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so there is a lot of pressure on on Saints, definitely, um, because I think there's a realisation that uh, they need to put themselves in a position 
um, to capitalise on a kind of run of fixtures after the international break. I mean, mm. Arsenal away is a toughie, but obviously Norwich and Watford at home, Newcastle away, there's some winnable games coming up. Yep. But you don't want to be too far behind. I mean, they're already at uh, this early stage of the season, more well, effectively four points away from getting out because of their goal difference, getting out of the bottom three. Uh, you don't want to be in a position whereby you go, great, we've beaten Watford and Norwich, and, well, we're not quite out of the bottom three yet. Mm. You need those to be the ones that, that give you some momentum, and so you've got to stay close. Um, and Everton really is a chance to do that. I mean, you imagine the doom and gloom if they fail to win that game, uh, heading into the international break, no wins at home all season. I mean, it is going to be pretty grim mm. if they don't get three points against Everton. And I, I think the, the, the club, Ralph, the players, I think they know that. And so the pressure is on. Um, and therefore, it's up to them to, to stand up to it and, and to actually do something about it, isn't it? I, I fear, kind of following on from what Lucy said, the Andre Gomez thing, I agree it will take it will take the heat off of Silver a little bit heading into the game. I also things like that you also fear um uh for Saints' point of view, could it have a galvanizing effect on Everton? Mm. You know, might the players be like a turn up and go, Come on, we're gonna do this one for Andre type spirit uh on the day that is just like a bit overwhelming for Saints. I mean that is a possibility. It's not guaranteed to happen, but you know, it's kind of one of those things it's sort of tip it would be typical Saints timing if uh, if they uh after the game Everton had won and, and it's revealed that they'd sort of been speaking to Andre Gomez on the phone in the dressing room and they'd got yeah, they were all riled up to, to do it for him type you know, that sort of thing. So mm. Saints are potentially gonna face a difficult game. But Again, I completely agree with what Steve said, his summary about Everton as a team. Um, ultimately, this is a really winnable game. Everton are one place above Saints in the Premier League table going into it. They are, they look like a team who are kind of on their knees away from home, especially. Um, they are there for the taking, and, and you do sort of have to say, well, if you're not going to win this one at home, which ones are you going to win? Yep. So... Uh, yeah, Saints, Saints have just got to go out and get the job done. It doesn't have to be a great performance or a gritty, you know, a, a pretty performance, sorry. A gritty one would be good. Um, <laughs> just to get the three points, get over the line and get into that international break with things looking up. Yeah. I think it's it does feel knife-edge sort of time at the moment. One of those we talk about sometimes, don't we, turning points? And uh, you, you beat Everton and I think that you begin to think, OK, well, they'll probably get a couple of wins from the other lesser teams they've got to play. So they'll bimble into 14th and it'll be a pretty, you know, not great season, but it'll kind of be all right. Uh, if you lose to Everton, then you start to panic, I think, a little bit and, and worry about where the rest of the season's going to go. And I think Ralph in his pre-match presser on Thursday, I thought it was interesting, his language already dropped in a couple of times, sort of that sort of, well, you know, we're kind of, we're in a fight and all mm. this is a bit difficult because, you know, when you're fighting relegation or something, you know, worse to those effects, you think, well, that's kind of boom, that's the mindset now already. But wow, it will really be like that if they lost to Everton. Yeah. Uh, um, Steve, Adam obviously mentioned there about the press conference that wasn't public and Saints obviously went quite radio silence in terms of we didn't see any of the players dicking around in training and stuff like that, I'm going to say. Um, do you think they need the same approach this week? Just focus on that, forget about happy posts and pictures of this and videos of that and banging the ball in the net from two yards out and that sort of thing. Just radio silence again, focus 100% on the game and just let that do the talking. Yeah, I think so. Until they until they get that win under their belts, then, um, then you can kind of 
be a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more open about things. But I think ultimately the the kind of tail of the tape has to be um, sort of serious game face on. This is the way it's going to go. We're all knuckling down and, and it's 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 going to be hard work. And let's face it, nobody wants to see photos or um, videos of the mundane sort of boring stuff that goes on in training. So, mm. and I mean, you would imagine given the way that, I mean, if you looked at the way the defensive shape was against City um, yesterday, I would imagine there was a hell of a lot of mundane, boring stuff going on in training during the week. Yeah. Um, because they clearly worked on it. And I mean, credit where it's due. I mean, obviously it didn't get us the win in the end, but you could see that there was a marked improvement. Let's look at some positives then, Lucy, from a Saints point of view. Misa Gineppo has obviously back made a, a substitute appearance yesterday, um, along with the likes of sort of Che Adams, Sofian Buffel. There's a, a little bit more attacking flair in and around the squad now again for Ralph that's sort of chomping at the bit and ready to, to go. So that hopefully now is a bit of positive with these these winnable games coming. But uh, as I say, players like Gineppo and I don't know if Cedric will be back or not, but you know he's starting to get his, his sort of best 15, 16, 17 together. Yeah, definitely. I think he's made no secret of the fact that he would rather have Gineppo in that team than, than not. Um, I think we saw on the limited number of minutes he did have before that injury that he, he has the ability to give this team something it doesn't really have and hasn't probably had since Sadio Mane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're struggling, someone that can kind of create something out of nothing or, or kind of do something unexpected and indeed in a home atmosphere, which will probably struggle after last last week's um, experiences, someone who can get people off their seats and, and get people a bit excited um, and kind of galvanise things that way as well. So I, I think, yeah, the return of Gineppo could be massive. And indeed, he is probably the player we're looking at to kind of, I don't want to say tie things together because he's not really that kind of player, but to give us a bit more of a cutting edge, I guess. Shea yeah. um, Adams, it obviously hasn't worked out for yet. I don't think anyone can pretend otherwise. I still think he has the potential to be something really quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he got very unlucky when he did have that string of games at the beginning of the season. Um, and I think over the, the festive period, it will become very necessary to look after Danny Ings. Yeah. Um, from a minutes perspective, we know that he he's worked hard on his, his conditioning and his fitness, and, and it does seem to work quite well. But, you know, Ralph's made it quite clear he knows that he cannot squeeze him for 90 minutes every single game i think recently he's kind of seen shane long as as, as the way of giving danny a rest yep. uh, and i would hope over the christmas period he might review the shea adams situation and, and give him another go um especially playing at home i'm not sure that's always shane long's game i think he prefers to play as a kind of a counter-attacker um if we have easier games at home over the Christmas period, which we, we, we do, that's the opportunity I think Shea Adams has been waiting for. So it's only going to help us having easier fixtures and, and more options. So that is definitely a positive. Good. All right. Well, Adam, you're the manager then. Um, of course, this, as we've said, this playing deep and defensive style is fine in some games, but won't necessarily work in a game like this where we, we need to win it. Obviously, we've got a team, as we mentioned, who can't win at home against the a team that can't win away. So you're Ralph Hasen, who to Adam. Are you going for it from the first minute, taking the game to them, or are you going to sort of sit in a bit and see how the game folds and then tactically change it as the game pans out? I'd like to see them be on the front foot from the beginning, and that doesn't mean having to go completely gung-ho and forget all form of defence, but I think there's got to be a certain amount of recognition that playing at home has become an issue, that the fans are getting pretty restless, um, and after the last home game... Uh, they want to see something 
they need to see something from the players. It's all right, you know, saying, you know, fans get behind us or whatever. We need your help. But actually, they need to see something to kind of get behind. And therefore, I think Saints need to start on the front foot. If they do and they're bright and they're breezy and they're attacking and they've got Everton pinned back a little bit, you know, it's going to go a long way to kind of getting fans on side and generating a bit of a good atmosphere. So I would want to see them starting like high energy kind of trying to get the press back again mm. um, and, and pushing Everton back because let's be honest yeah Everton have got a few good players every Premier League team's got some good players but then there's nothing there to fear from Saints' point of view so yeah you don't go gung-ho but certainly you I think that you you put the pressure on from the from the first minute and you just try and say look let's have the first 10 minutes let's just try and have absolute intensity mm. you know let's let's try and win every second ball let's let's press let's really harry them let's give them no time on the ball at all not let's kind of sit back and and yeah we'll, we'll sit in shape and let them pass it between their center halves no let's actually get on the front foot and actually you know try and really make something happen even if you kind of then go okay then we need to sit yeah you know, we need then need to settle into more of a rhythm of the game i think it's important that they get out and they get out of the blocks quickly because yeah, you know, the last thing they want is to kind of be grinding it out because again it's easy to say to the fans stay patient but these are fans who just watched a team lost 9-0 and I think that's the thing Adam isn't it I mean this is game 12 of the season they've got nothing to lose really by taking a few risks to get that reward it's not like it's game 37 and we're four points adrift with goal difference so ultimately take some risks you can probably get a positive result out of it and as everyone has already said kicks your season off so there's almost nothing to lose to a certain extent yeah, I guess so. But I, I don't think that they even need to go reckless. You know, they don't need to be. It doesn't have to be. And I wouldn't I, I wouldn't personally go down that route. I well, I'm not go, saying right, we should okay. play two up front or anything. Let's just not get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's kind of as much as anything. It's about a mindset and an attitude that you go out on the pitch with, I think. Mm. And, and, you know, to go out and try and send them out in a in as much as possible, a positive and frame of mind and, and show that real intensity and desire to want to do something, to want to attack, to want to score goals and, and cause problems rather than looking too tentative. And, and I don't really see, yes, there is a slight risk there because we're talking about perhaps a higher pressing game, committing more people uh, to play that and then you can get caught on the break. Yes, OK, I get that. But we're not talking about throwing total caution to the wind like the last 10 minutes when you're chasing a goal here. We're just talking about or I'm talking about, having just a little bit more, you know, voom, basically, just yeah. kind of a bit more up and at them type approach. Um, and I think that's perfectly feasible with the players that they've got and with a week's rest under their belt that they could they could come out and do that. Going into the international break, you'd be saying to them, come on, lads, I want every last drop out of you. Then you can have a you can have a little bit of time off. That's just the, the most important thing for them is to get the win. And, and probably, let's be honest, with Saints' defence as the way it generally is. They aren't, because they. Uh, you could turn around and go, OK, forget that, because they defended well against Man City. Yeah, but they're not going to put 10 men in the penalty area for most of the game against Everton. Mm. So with that in mind, um, Saints' defence as it is, actually you kind of feel like the, the best, best form of defence is attack from their point of view. So actually try and be positive, get on the ball, make things happen early on, and, and hopefully Ralph will pick a team that, that reflects that as well 
and get some creative, some more creative flair in there and give them actually some of the ball and some and some license to play. Total caution to the wind. Sounds like an excellent podcast name. Right, let's go for some predictions. So I'm going to give everyone a quick update because I know the pressure is, is getting to that stage of the season now where we're starting to sort of uh, think about it. So Steve, somehow you're in last place at the moment on five points. Uh, I'm on six points. Lucy is on eight and uh, Mr. Leach is uh, still out in front on ten. We all picked up one point, of course, by uh, I was close as well, you know, because I got 3-1, three three one, one, which did, was yeah. the Tuesday night score. And then had Jesus put yeah. that ball away at the end now, I'd, yeah. I'd have been flying. Would have been, Not you that you been. wanted that, did you? No. Well, if they're going to lose, what is it matter? <laughs> Goal difference, come on now. <laughs> I know, I know. So, uh, right, let's let's work in reverse order of the points then. So, Steve, let's give you the, uh, the chance to go first this week. What are you going for in uh, Southampton versus Everton? As usual, I don't see us keeping a clean sheet, but I do think that we are going to finally step up and not be completely useless <laughs> at home. So um going to go slightly more optimistic this week um, and a 3-1 win. Oh, excellent. I thought you were going to go with a Desmond there. You're a typical no. Desmond. So good. 3-1 win. All right. Uh, then it's me, isn't it? I'm, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to uh, my earlier season strategy, which uh, worked particularly well, which was basically to predict that we would lose 0-1 every week. Uh, we picked up, uh, I think it was four points during that period, so that was good. As Sky helpfully reminded us earlier, Gilfie Sigurdsson and has not scored yet this season he always does against us so I'm going for a nil one to Everton and Sigurdsson to score <laughs> uh, obviously from reverse psychology next is uh, Lucy Heinert thanks for the full name that's right um, have, you, have you got a middle name I could have gone with that as well yes Helen actually. oh right excellent okay um, anyway <laughs> I'm torn I think my head says a draw right but my heart says a win i'm gonna go for the win i'm gonna say 2-1 to saints 2-1 to saints good all right mr leach i'm uh actually gonna fold in uh with what steve said because th- i'm yeah. gonna go 3-1 again i actually think it's gonna be a 3-1 win so I'm, I'm not gonna try and be too clever about it i'm just gonna go for it good all right excellent all right well that's uh three excellently constructive predictions Thanks as always to you guys for listening. Thanks also for all of the feedback on episode 89. Uh, appreciate uh, the guys' efforts in putting it together and uh, it was great to sort of uh, get uh, some positive comments and uh, emails through from uh, several people all around the world despite the disappointing result. My thanks as always to Adam, Steve and Lucy and of course, more importantly for this week, to uh, Saints hero Francis Benali as well. Um, just before we go, I just wanted to mention that the Ugly Inside, so Freddie and the guys are uh, following Movember again this uh, month, so please support it if you get the opportunity if you go to mobro m-o-b-r-o dot co slash the ugly inside you can find all the details and sponsor them if you wish but until then we'll be back uh, next week after the uh, Everton game for a chat keep marching in
the TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.